Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for providing all that we need. Lord, for giving us enough. Lord, that your promises are not spent nor empty. Lord, this morning as we gather, we would ask that you break your word small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. This morning I would invite you, if you've brought your Bible along with you, to turn to our Old Testament lesson from 1 Kings 17. As we pick up in the middle of 1 Kings, this is where the prophet Elijah steps onto the scene for the first time. And a little context for where our reading comes from. Elijah has just proclaimed a famine across the land as he spoke to King Ahab, king of Israel. And then it says that the word of the Lord came to him and says, Go now east to a place that God had appointed for him at the brook of Chenoweth. And there God fed him food delivered by ravens and nourished him through the brook. Now, in the middle of a famine, the brook eventually dries up, and God tells Elijah, Now I want you to go to Zarephath, and there a widow will feed you. Now, all of these places sound obscure, but what we recognize here is that first off, Elijah was probably the least popular guy in the kingdom of Israel at this point, and actually that King Ahab had put a price out on his head to a point that he had gone out to other kingdoms and had said, are you harboring this guy? And when they had said no, then he made them swear an oath that said so. Now, having said that, I say this. The place where he was by the brook was probably about 30 miles from Samaria, the capital of Israel. And from there, to go to Zarephath was another 80 or 90 miles across the northern part of the kingdom. So Elijah, a man with a price on his head, now makes a great distance as he heeds God's call in the middle of a famine to go and trust that this widow in Zarephath will feed him. He is led into dependency. 
And see, in our world, when we speak of dependency, it's something that we flee from. We do not want to be dependent upon anything. Dependency is the mark of an addict. We don't want to be dependent upon a substance. We don't want to be dependent upon a relationship or a behavior or a place. It's something that we rebel against because the drive to independence is woven deep into the fabric of our fallen identity. We speak a lot of identity issues here because it is the lens that we see the world through. When we identify ourselves as anything other than created in the image of God, then we now reduce the humanity of our neighbor to something else, something less than. We are in a constant struggle for independence from elements of the world fighting against the chains of the things which we are addicted to. And it's really easy to point to the guy selling crack on the corner and go, yep, that guy's facilitating an addiction. That dude's an addict. We see the overt addictions and we can classify that and go, I'm not an addict like that. But the reality is, is that we are all addicted to something. Maybe it's something more subtle like gossip. Maybe it's something where you struggle to separate yourself from your work. Maybe it's something where you're a slave to someone else's time. We do not want to be bound by anything or anyone. In the fall, we lose our willingness and our ability to be dependent upon anything. In that question of, did God really say we instantly become skeptical and paranoid about trusting anyone. The knowledge of good and evil exposes the worst of intentions and opposes the best. And arguably the first temptation was to doubt the faithfulness of God caring for His creation. And now God has told Elijah, go to Zarephath and there a widow will feed you. In the midst of a famine, The end seems obvious and unavoidable. 
So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You see, she has doubts about this man as well, and she recognizes him as an outsider, as a foreigner, and in fact, as an Israelite. Because she makes this vow as sure as the Lord your God lives. She is going to prepare her last supper for herself and her son until Elijah shows up and invites himself to the party. She was preparing for them to die. And meanwhile, Elijah isn't exactly a favored son of Israel at this point. And yet both of these folks are led into dependency by their circumstances. We have peace in dependency through the provision that is poured out by God. We have peace in knowing that God provides for our needs, but it's not always in the ways that we demand it. It's not always in rampant financial success or grand achievement of our goals or suddenly all of our dreams come true. And in fact, sometimes our life actually becomes more difficult the more we follow Christ. The more we heed His Word, the more we dig deep into His Word to see what it says, the more it feels like our life starts to fall apart. And there's a reason why. Because once you posed no threat to the devil, and now you pose a great one. And he has to work a whole lot harder to tear you away from the truth. When our dependency is only defined by the narrowness of what we see and accept. Our generosity is confined to our ideas of worthiness. And we decide, you know, I don't think that's really worth my time. I don't think this is worth my effort. I don't think this is worth my treasure. And what we're really saying is, I'm not interested, I don't care, and forget it. 
Not one of the prophets sought to be one. Not one of them put their hand up and said, yep, I would like to be the guy that no one likes because I speak the hard words. And yep, I'd love to be the guy with a price on my head. Or I'd love to be the guy that gets thrown off of a boat because I tried to do my thing instead of God's thing. Instead, God rips them out of whatever they're doing and says, guess what? I'm going to show you what you're doing now. And you're going to depend on me to provide for how you're going to do it. Jonah shows up in Nineveh and the sun is beating down on him so hard that God allows a plant to sprout up, provide him with shade, only to fade and wither the next day so that he's left in the sun again. So that God can go, see, I gave you what you needed. And you didn't care. The widow had no reason to give hearing or help to this foreigner. And see, the fact that she says, as the Lord your God lives, she actually makes a vow to say, I am telling you the truth. You can believe what I am saying. Throughout Scripture, God demonstrates faithfulness to his promise of provision through giving enough, not in abundance. As the Israelites wander in the desert and they start to groan and grumble over the hunger in their bellies, God says, I'm going to send you manna from heaven and you're going to collect as much as you need for each day and no more. And then I'm going to provide more the next day. And then on the day that you have the Sabbath, I'm going to provide twice as much so that you have as much as you need until I give it again. And the first thing that they do is they go out and they collect in abundance. And they place it in to jars and to vessels, and then they are suddenly shocked and surprised when it spoils and rots. When they should really be surprised that God gives more the next day. He gives enough. The gospel of not spent nor empty liberates us from the bondage of abundance and frees us to live without worrying how he will provide for us. The jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. See, the problem that we face is that once we build ourselves a castle, we have to fight to keep it. We have to work to maintain it. 
And then, on top of that, we have to fend off any outsiders or invaders that would seek to come in and destroy what we have built. You see, I know it can be a pain in the butt to have to set up and tear down chairs from one week to the next. But I have to tell you, y'all, I thank God for the impermanence. Because it reminds us that this is a space that we share. That we're not the only ones who get to share in this gift that God has given. And that it's not just the partnership between the church and the school, but that it's outside groups that come in and share in this space too. And yeah, it's really nice to go to a place where you can sit in a pew and you don't have to tear things down. You don't have to share the stage so they can put on a really awesome production next week. But at the same time, there is so much life that God breathes into this church, in this ministry, into this space. And that is what ministry is about. Giving away that which God has given. Where things are not spent nor empty. And the discomfort of dependency leads us to lean more on each other. I cannot tell you how much I love the spirit of this place and of you as people that two weeks ago when we knew that our brothers and sisters in Christ at Zion were hurting and that they needed some love, that we as the body of Christ rallied around them and we helped provide them with food and we helped make sure that we had a presence and we just cared, we prayed. See, the Apostle Paul writes to great length about how each individual is a member of one body and each member has a unique and special role to fill. But he writes in 1 Corinthians and says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with the promise of not spent nor empty. There's always enough to go around. There's plenty to share. And so there's no excuse for why we would not invite folks to come and share worship and fellowship and a meal with us next Sunday night when we gather to celebrate Thanksgiving. There's no excuse for not making room at our tables. Because God gives us exactly what we need so that we have enough to share with those around us so that God always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.